happy and blessed feast day of the Immaculate Conception of Mary, everybody, and to honor Our Lady and to give glory to God and what He's done in salvation history through Mary, we're going to be talking about Mary, yo mama, but this is not going to be a mama joke because this mama is the real deal. So today we're going to be talking about Mary, the mother of Jesus, the mother of God, and our mother too. And so we're going to work all the way through scripture and talking about all these different points and dogmas and doctrines of the Catholic Church and how to better understand Mary. And really, it's all about Jesus. So let's just start off with what are the dogmas of Mary? The divine motherhood, her title as mother of God, her perpetual virginity, the Immaculate Conception, which we're celebrating this weekend, which is the birth of Mary, not the birth of Jesus, that's the Annunciation. Uh, it's the birth of Mary from St. Anne and St. Joachim, which means that she is f uh, free from the stain of original sin and her uh, glorious assumption into heaven, her body and soul assumed into heaven. And uh, so if we recall what dogmas, dogmas are, dogmas are objective, unchanging truths revealed by Jesus's incarnation, life, death, and resurrection. So divinely revealed truths that are unchanging. So let's first cover some misconceptions about what Catholics actually believe about Mary. So Mary is not God and Catholics do not worship her. Worship and adoration belongs to God alone. So, and any, and if there is any person worshiping Mary, well, then they're committing idolatry and that is condemned by the church. She is a creature created by God and it is because of God's grace that she has been exalted into like that she's the highest exalted creature and God honors her. And so that's why we do too. And uh, I don't want to get into too much apologetics about like the saints, but in Hebrews 12.1, we believe that there's a communion of saints. We are one body with the saints glorified in heaven and the saints suffering in uh, purgatory and our church militant here. We are one body. And in 1 Corinthians 12.21, it says, one member of the body cannot say to another member, I have no need of you. We need our entire church. And Mary is in the church. And, uh, and in Revelation, we see the prayers of these saints being lifted up to God. And so understanding Mary is really going to amplify and get the correct Christology um, about Jesus. So just thinking about this, Mary's blood actually runs through Jesus's veins. So God decided to become man in order to redeem us. He did not, he could have chose any other way, but he decided to come through Mary and he became a man and he actually had a body and he was fully God and fully man. So his entire body resembled a human being, and that was Mary. And he decided out of all eternity, he said, yep, I'm choosing this Jewish girl to become the mother of my son, the mother of God. And so, and she is our mother. So the fourth commandment says to honor mother and father. And so Christians are Jesus's brothers and sisters. So we are required by God's command to honor her as he does, because we are so closely linked to Jesus that she becomes our mother too. Remember when uh, Paul, he was persecuting Christians and he was dragging them off and he encountered Jesus. Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Because Jesus is so intimately connected with his church. He's mystically connected to us and he is living in us. So Jesus, his mother is Mary and therefore he, she is our mother as well. And it is not because uh, it's necessary for for these understandings to about Mary. It's not necessary, but it's fitting because God chose to reveal Himself fully in Jesus Christ, born of a virgin. 
and Mary could not do anything on her own. She is powerless, just like us, but through God's grace and deciding to choose her, she needs to be very well understood in order to fully understand Jesus. So just as Jesus was sinless, and yet was he, he was also circumcised, so which means that he was redeemed in obedience to the Jewish law, and he didn't need to be baptized, but he was baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist, and he even says in Matthew 3.14 that it was fitting to fulfill all righteousness. And so just like St. Maximilian Kolbe, he says, do not be afraid to love Mary because you'll never love her more than Jesus loved her. And that kind of reflects on what the angel says to St. Joseph. Joseph, do not be afraid to take Mary into your home. And that messenger of God would tell us the exact same thing. Do not be afraid to take Mary into your home. So let's dive into scripture now. And we're going to see that a lot of people say, well, you don't see much about Mary, like in the epistles, like in St. Paul's letters or anything like that. But we're going to see very blatantly the quality over the quantity. Okay. So a lot of the letters of the early church were dealing with uh, things within the church. And then in the gospels, we're going to see these revelations of Jesus, which also reveals truths about Mary because of Jesus. So, and remember we talked about typology. So typology is that there's these types in the Old Testament that are fulfilled in the New Testament, okay? So get ready for the Bible to become alive. So we're going to be looking at scripture basically this entire time. I might get into some of the church church fathers. If I don't have time, I'll just provide a link to a website that actually has all the church fathers. So these are things that were believed from the beginning of the church 2,000 years ago and have not changed. So um, let's talk about the mother of God, even um, her title as mother of God. So a lot of people believe that we're saying that she is the mother of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that is false. She is the mother of God, the Son, Jesus Christ. And so we have to understand. So um, there's really three. If you don't get the mother of God title right, and you just say that she is the mother of Jesus's human nature, well, then you're getting to into heresies that we've described before. So there's really three Christological errors if we reject Mary's title as mother of God. We either have to deny the divinity of Christ, which is the Arianism heresy that was condemned by the church in the year 325 in the Council of Nicaea. And that was, uh, these were heretics who were using scripture to deny Jesus' divinity. They were pointing to Colossians 115, where it says, Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. And then uh, another one is uh, you'd have to be creating two separate persons to represent Jesus Christ, one human and one divine. And that was the Nestorianism heresy that was condemned by the church in 431 at the Council of Ephesus and at uh, Chalcedon, uh, the Council of Chalcedon in 451. Or you would get just some form of unintelligible Christology leaving Jesus Christ as something less than a fully divine person. So Jesus, he was fully man and fully human, one person with one fully God and one fully human uh, hypostatic union. He was perfectly united. And Mary did not just give birth to Jesus's human nature, human nature. even uh, mothers that give birth now. They don't give birth to just a human nature of the baby. They give birth to a person which has a body and soul composite. And that's the same exact thing with Mary. Jesus, where it says um, in Colossians 2, 8 through 9, he is the fullness of the deity bodily dwelt. So his divinity is fully there in the womb of Mary. Okay, so he is fully God and Mary gave birth to his human nature and his divinity. 
And Mary didn't give birth to Jesus's divinity. Jesus existed before time even began. But Jesus, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, he was completely born God. His divinity was born through Mary into the person of Jesus Christ, which is fully human and fully God. And even the Protestant reformers knew the importance of this because if you don't get Mary right, you don't get the fullness of Jesus right. So let's now dive into scripture. So let's actually start in the Old Testament where there's uh, some prophecies that God will be born of a virgin and this virgin will be without sin. So let's go first to Genesis 3.15, which is also known as the Proto-Evangelium. It's really like the Proto-Gospel. It's the good news. So right after the fall, so right before Genesis 3.15, we read about the fall. And so Adam and Eve uh, fall, and Adam blames God and blames the woman. Then the woman says that the serpent made her eat the apple, and so she took it and ate it. And right after that, God talks to the serpent, and he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. So notice that there's two different enmities that he's going to put between the serpent. The serpent and the woman, Mary, who's going to be fulfilling that, and between your offspring and hers. So Mary, this woman, is going to um, give birth. She's going to have an offspring, which is going to be fulfilled in Jesus. They're going to be the new Adam and the new Eve. And so God is already saying that there that there's going to be He's going to put enmity between the serpent and the woman and between her offspring and the serpent's offspring. And we're going to later, and go ahead and remember this text, Genesis 3.15, because later we're going to see this woman that's described in Genesis 3.15 fulfilled in uh, the wedding of Cana in John and again in Revelation. You're going to see woman appear each of those times. So, And then Isaiah 7.14, this is when Isaiah prophesies that the virgin will bear a son named Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. So it's already saying right there, Emmanuel, God with us. God is going to be born of a virgin. The virgin is going to give birth to God. And Jesus is God. So so Mary is the mother of God. Mary is the mother of God, the son. And then uh, Jeremiah 31, 22, it says, How long will you waver, O, o faithless daughter? For the Lord has created a new thing on the earth. A woman protects a man. And then uh, closer to the Hebrew, it actually means a woman shall compass a man. And so this is in the middle of when Jeremiah prophesies the coming of the new covenant. And it's quoted at the end of Hebrews chapter 8, uh, verse 7 through 12. And that's in the New Testament Hebrews. In the Old Testament, we discover it was the first man, Adam, who compassed the woman, Eve, for she was created from him. And in the recapitulation of the things in the new covenant, God deigned to reverse this order just as he was to reverse the curse of original sin. Jesus, the second Adam, come from the new woman, Mary. It was the woman who compassed the man. So now let's actually dive into, we're going to see a ton of Old Testament text, but it's going to be in direct connection with the New Testament. So let's dive into the New Testament. First, we're going to start out with the uh, Gospel of Luke the Annunciation to Mary and the Gospel of Luke. So actually, let's read through it one time. So Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 26. In the sixth month of the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and considered in her mind what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. 
he will be great and he will and will be called the son of the most high and the lord god will give to him the throne of his father david and he will reign over the house of jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end and mary said to the angel how can this be since i have no husband and the angel said to her the holy spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you therefore the child to be born will be called holy the son of god and behold, your kinswoman Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For with God nothing will be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So let's tear this thing apart. All right. So, so God sent uh, Angel Gabriel from to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man. So betrothal was actually, they, her and Joseph were actually already married, but there was two parts of the marriage. There's the betrothal, and then there was actually the man would prepare a home to receive his bride into. And it says that uh, a man, she was betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David, which is significant because it prophesies, it fulfills the prophecy that the Messiah would be a direct descendant of David. And so Joseph is the direct uh, descendant of King David. And so Jesus, as we know, he is the fulfillment of King David and also the son of David the king. So, um, and we see already that the Isaiah 7:14 prophecy of God with us, Emmanuel, born of a virgin, is already being fulfilled. And what is who is that virgin's name? Well, it says right here in Luke chapter 1, verse 27, that the virgin's name was Mary. And so the angel came to her, and he said, "Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you." So we say the "Hail Mary, Hail Mary, full of grace," but he actually doesn't say "Hail Mary." He just says "Hail, full of grace." And in the and in the Greek, it's, uh, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation of this, but it's kaire kekaretomini, so which means hail full of grace. And so each of those words, kaire and kekaretomini, it signifies that she was already grace. It was a past event that's already happened, and she's full of grace now and will be forever. It's a permanent thing. And so in the Hebrew culture, a name reveals something permanent about the one named. And so the angel says, Hail, full of grace. He doesn't even call her Hail Mary, or Mary, full of grace. That's exactly who she is and permanently will be. She will always have been referred to, and she's always been referred to in the, in the church as the Virgin Mary. You read any of the writings of the, uh, the first century writings or anything, she was always referred to as the Virgin Mary. And the angel, this is an angel coming to a 15-year-old girl, and usually people are freaked out when they see angels, but this angel actually venerates her. So this is the first time where we see a human being venerated by a messenger of God. This angel venerates um, uh, Mary. And we're going to see later that Elizabeth is the first one who is a first one as a human that venerates Mary. So he comes and says, hail, which also is like for royalty. She already is being revealed as the queenship and Jesus, because he is the king, he is the fulfillment of the house of uh, the house of David, the King David and son of David, that he's going to be a king. And also it is unusual for angels to praise those to whom they are sent. Usually people are called by their name or simply given a curt instruction, but no angel calls a human being graced or being favored prior to Mary. And so, and actually the direct translation of um, the saying to Mary is, Greetings, O woman who has been graced, the Lord be with you. And I just think this is so cool too. You see here that she's actually troubled at the saying, the message of the angel. She's not really troubled at, at least scripture says, this, she's not 
uh, troubled at the angel. And we see elsewhere, if an angel appears, people either bow down and try to worship because they, they're so overwhelmed, they think it's God, or they're like freaked out and scared. But Mary here, she's not troubled at the angel appearing. She's troubled at the saying. So a lot of people have said, well, this shows that she probably was visited by angels actually all the time. But this time, the message was a different one. And it was the fulfillment of the Messiah coming and God chose her out of all eternity. And then the scripture goes on to say that, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. So right here we're seeing that she is the God-bearer. And so this was a debate in the Council of Ephesus in 431 where the attack was actually on Jesus. They were trying to separate his human and his divine nature. They were saying that Jesus... Uh, was he was two separate persons, one divine and one human. However, that's not true. He is fully God and fully human in one, per- in one person, which is Jesus. So Jesus is God. And right here in scripture, it says that you will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. So right here, we're seeing right in scripture that Mary is the God bearer, the, Theoto- the Theotokos which was debated in the that Council of Ephesus in 431. So she is not just the, bear, the bearer of Jesus' human nature. She is the bearer of God, God-bearer. And then scripture goes on to say that he will be called great and, he, and will be called the Son of the Most High and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. In his kingdom there will be no end. And this is, is significant because right here we're seeing that Jesus is going to be the king of this kingdom where there will be no end. And later we're going to talk about the gospel of Matthew because that entire gospel is centered around the kingdom of God and Jesus being the king. And in the Old Testament, the king always had a queen. And who was that? The queen mother. So we'll get into that later, but let's go on with the scripture. So, and Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I have no husband? So right here, this is also pretty significant because Mary is implying that she was not planning on having uh, kids. And so, because if the angel, she was already betrothed, so she was already married, and then she knew that she was going to be married soon. If someone told you that after you're married, you're going to have a kid, why would that trouble you? You would think, okay, he's referring to a natural birth that I'm going to have with my husband. But Mary is troubled by this because she wasn't planning on it. And first, let's talk about this. So, uh, it actually was not um, uncommon or rare in first century Judaism to uh, be in a marriage where you're going to be, be remaining a virgin. And so actually, let's go to scripture first for some of these examples. So we, we're going to see that celibacy had become more and more accepted in the ancient Jewish world in the centuries leading up to the advent of Christ. And this includes celibacy through one's life or even after marriage. So so here are some exceptions to the norm that all should marry and reproduce. So in Jeremiah 16, uh, verse 1 through 4, God commands Jeremiah, Jeremiah not to take a wife. He was uh, um, celibate for life. In Exodus 19:15, Moses commanded the entire male Jewish community not to go near a woman for three days in anticipation of the giving of the law by God on Sinai. So Jesus, remember, he is the word made flesh. And right here, to the Jewish community, not to go near a woman for three days in anticipation of the given, giving of the law by God. And according to Jewish tradition, Moses, he remained celibate for the rest of his life after encountering the word of God on Mount Sinai. But Mary encountered the word of God in her son, Jesus Christ. So it would follow that she would also remain celibate for the rest of her life. Um, according to Jewish tradition also, Elijah and Elisha were, ce- were celibate all their lives while other prophets remained celibate like Moses after having encountered the word of God and, and the prophets. Um, 
in uh, St. Clement of Rome, he speaks of celibacy being commonly practiced by Christians in AD 90. St. Ignatius of Antioch speaks similarly in AD 107. And Justin Martyr tells us it was being practiced all over the Roman Empire by AD 150. So Mary, she was encountering not only the Word of God, but the Word of God in Jesus Christ in a very unique way, more than any of us will ever encounter. Mary had the biggest encounter with the Word of God, and one can see the reasonableness of being completely consecrated to God while needing Joseph as her protector. And then the next verse is, the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So right here, we're going to see that Mary is actually espoused to the Holy Spirit. She's going to be married to the Holy Spirit. And we've seen the Holy Spirit fall on other prophets and other savior figures in the Old Testament. So in particular, like David come, comes to mind. He received the Holy Spirit when anointed by Samuel in 1 uh, Samuel chapter 16. But the power of the Most High will overshadow you is completely unprecedented as a statement to any human being. The word used here is very rare. It is used only in Exodus 40.35 to describe the glory cloud of the, the divine presence overshadowing the tabernacle. So comparing Mary to the tabernacle of the wilderness, the physical dwelling place of the divine presence. So Mary is filled with the divine presence um, as she is compared to the tabernacle. And and then in Ruth 3.9, Ruth said to Boaz, spread your skirt over me when she revealed to him his duty to marry her according to the, the Liverite law of Deuteronomy chapter 25. So Mary right here is espoused to the Holy Spirit and therefore she's married to the Holy Spirit and Joseph would not go and have conjugal relations with Mary because she's a spouse to the Holy Spirit. And when Mary turned up pregnant, Joseph would have re been required to divorce her because she would have uh, then belonged to another person, uh, according to Deuteronomy chapter 24 and Jeremiah 3.1. When Joseph found out that the other was the Holy Spirit, though, the idea of Joseph ha having conjugal relations with Mary would have not been possible. Joseph called to be her earthly protector, according to 2 Samuel 16.20, chapter 18, uh, verse 15, and chapter 20, verse 3. So, and Joseph was a righteous man, right? So he was going to divorce her quietly because she thought he thought that she was going to be pregnant from somebody else. But after he found out that it was the Holy Spirit, he was going to be her earthly protector and also, and he was not going to have conjugal relations with her because she was taken by the Holy Spirit. So from this, we are seeing the birth of Jesus and the perfect vessel of Mary. And she also fulfills the vision of the holiness of the gate of the temple in Ezekiel 44, 1 through 2. So Ezekiel 44, it says, Then he brought me back to the outer gate of the sanctuary, which faces east, and it was shut. And he said to me, This gate shall remain shut, it shall not be opened, and no one shall enter by it. For the Lord, the God of Israel, has entered by it, therefore it shall remain shut. So that is fulfilled in Jesus, because Jesus is the temple, and he enters into the womb of Mary. She is the gate of the temple, which, be, which is fulfilled in her perpetual virginity. Only God himself entered into this, this gate of um, the temple, and Jesus is the temple. Um, in uh, 4th century, St. Jerome, he says, only Christ opened the closed doors of the virginal womb, which continued to remain closed. However, this is the closed eastern gate through which only the high priest may enter and exit, and which nevertheless is always closed. 
and from this miraculous birth, God choosing Mary, we're going to see that she is the fulfillment of Zion. So Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, and elsewhere, the, the, the inhabitant of Zion is also referred to as the daughter of Zion, or even the virginal daughter of Zion, in Zephaniah chapter 3, and multiple verses in there. And so when we go back to when the angel says, hail full of grace, we remember that the, the Greek word for hail is kairi, also re- translated to rejoice, and kekratomini is the feminine, we could also translate it to rejoice favored woman, which fulfills the Zephaniah prophecy of God coming into the world through a virgin daughter, Zion. The angel doesn't say the Lord shall be with you, but the Lord is, is with you. Because of her yes, God finally dwells in the midst of his virginal daughter, Zion. The angel's greeting not only signals that Mary is full of grace, but that she is the true daughter of Zion. The obstacle that kept God from dwelling in the midst of his people, which was sin, had been eliminated through Mary's immaculate conception, and Mary becomes the archetype of the church, holy and without blemish. Mary was the first person to experience the redemption of Christ in her person. This grace, the grace of the new covenant, was incarnate in Mary before the incarnation, from the moment of her conception, and it was made perfected in her through her declaration of faith and obedience. So, and, uh, her declaration in faith and obedience is in that last part of that, um, the birth of Jesus's, uh, scripture where, uh, the angel says, for with God, nothing will be impossible. And then Mary said, behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. So she is the perfect human being that has completely abandoned herself to the will of God. And also, um, just to, to further elaborate on this fulfillment of Zion. So God was trying to prepare his people in order to dwell among them. That is the simple and most beautiful prayer in the Torah that uh, Moses, he prays for God to dwell in the midst of his people. And it's, but God says no. God's refusal was not because of the lack of a desire on his part, but it was God's will was always to dwell in the midst of his people. The problem was Israel's sin. The Lord, in Exodus 33, uh, verse 3, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go among you, lest I consume you in the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. And as mentioned earlier, when uh, we read the prophet Isaiah and in elsewhere, the inhabitant of Zion is also referred to as the daughter of Zion or even the daughter, the virgin daughter of Zion. For example, in Isaiah 37, 22, Isaiah uh, prophesies against Assyria who had conquered Israel. He says, Assyria despises you. She scorns you. The virgin daughter of Zion, she wags her head behind you, the daughter of Jerusalem. Uh, see Isaiah 37, 22, Jeremiah 14, 17, and Lamentations 2, 13. And so and in Zephaniah, we find similar language. The Lord chastises Israel resoundingly for its sins, but then promises through the message of the prophet uh, in Zephaniah. It says, Therefore wait for me, says the Lord, for the day when I arise as a witness. On that day you shall not be put to shame, for they shall pasture and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exalt with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. And in Zechariah 2.10, it says, Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for lo, I come, and I will dwell in the midst of you, says the Lord. So because of Mary's yes, after all those uh, centuries in waiting, God would finally dwell in the midst of his virgin daughter of Zion because he found finally a perfect fulfillment of his people without sin, completely detached from sin, and a worthy vessel for the word of God in Jesus to dwell in the midst of his people to save us from sin and death. So this verse becomes an example 
of what scripture scholars refer to as the polyvalent or multi-layered nature of, of the scriptures. So the angel's greeting not only signals that Mary is full of grace, but that she is the true daughter of Zion. So this relates to Mary being free from sin because before that it was the sin of Israel that prevented God from dwelling in the midst of the virgin daughter of Zion. Then it's fitting that the new covenant daughter Zion, in the midst of whom the Lord would bodily would dwell bodily, to be free from all of sin. The obstacle that kept God from dwelling in the midst of his people had been eliminated through Mary's immaculate conception, and Mary becomes the archetype of the church, holy and without blemish. So on one level, since she was full of grace, Mary is the fulfillment of the prophecies concerning the daughter of Zion, even before the incarnation. And yet there was more to come. Mary's fullness of grace had prepared the new covenant daughter of Zion for something the old covenant people of God could never have fathomed. It was grace that made her fit to be a worthy vessel of bear, to bear the king of glory in her body. The fulfillment of God's promise would not be complete then until Mary conceived Jesus in her womb. So um, let's move on to the next piece of scripture, the visitation from Mary to Elizabeth. I, this is my, my favorite. So let's read through it really quick. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a city of Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the voice of your greeting came to my ears... The babe in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she who believed what that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So, a ton of stuff here. All right. So first, let's dive into just the connections, the clear connection to the Old Testament right here. So, um, we're going to see that she is the fulfillment of the Ark of the Covenant. Right here, Scripture is pointing back to be having Mary the complete fulfillment of the Ark of the Old Covenant. So the Ark of the Old Covenant was a type of Mary. And we remember typology tells us that everything in the New Covenant is, is vastly better than everything in the Old Covenant, right? So if we look at 2 Samuel 6, we're going to see a direct connection of Mary's actions and Elizabeth's words that fulfill um, the Ark of the Covenant and what David said. So let's first start with what each of the Arks contained. So in the Ark of the Old Covenant, we see that they had three types of Jesus inside. The manna, the bread, the miraculous bread manna, Aaron's rod, and the Ten Commandments. And they even reference the, that in Hebrews uh, chapter 9, verse 4. And in Hebrew, commandment uh, debar can be translated as word, and Jesus is the word. And in Mary, she carried the fulfillment of all of these types in her body. Jesus is the true manna from heaven, according to John 6.32. He is the true high priest in Hebrews 3.1, and he is the word made flesh in John 1.14. So each, there's a connection that the Ark of the Old Covenant and Mary as the Ark of the New Covenant. And now going into our visitation of Mary going to Elizabeth. So Exodus chapter uh, 40, verse 30 through 35, it says, The cloud overshadowed the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The Greek word for overshadow found in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures, is a form of episkese, which is 
um, what we spoke, uh, spoke of earlier in Luke chapter 1, verse 35. It says, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the, most, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And so the Greek word for overshadow there is kapise. So there's this direct connection of the overshadowing of the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle in Exodus and with the power of the Most High overshadowing Mary in the New Covenant. And so now, now going to 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 14 through 16, it says, David leapt and danced before the ark when it was being carried into Jerusalem in procession. And we see in Luke 144, as soon as Elizabeth heard the sound of Mary's salutation, John the Baptist leaped for joy in her womb. And then uh, in, in chapter uh, in 2 Samuel, it also says there's a manifestation of the power of God working through the ark. David exclaims, how can the ark of the Lord come on to me? And in Luke 143, after the revelation of Elizabeth concerning the true calling of Mary and that she was carrying God in her womb, Elizabeth exclaims, why is this granted, granted me that the mother of my Lord should come, come, come to me? And so there, there we have it, the mother of my Lord. And then also in 2 Samuel 6.11, it says, the ark remained in the house of Obadiah three months. And in Luke 156, it says Mary remained with Elizabeth for about three months. So there we see that there is no denying that the Ark of the Covenant was holy. It was, in fact, unique holy because of the three types of Jesus Christ contained within it. And that is the biblical connection between the Ark and Mary. And we see in uh, Exodus chapter 25, verse 10, uh, it's about the construction of the Ark. So the the acacia wood of the Ark of the Covenant mandated by divine commandment was incorruptible. So in Exodus 25, 10, it says, Thou shalt make the Ark of Testimony of incorruptible wood. So Mary, being the fulfillment of this Ark of the Old Covenant, it has to be greater. It has to at least match it, or if not greater. So Mary, therefore, is made incorruptible due to the merits of her son, Jesus. And in Psalm 132, it refers to the then-future building of the ancient temple in Jerusalem that would house the Ark of the Covenant and the presence of God from which the kings of Israel would rule. The references to the temple and the Ark have enormous significance. So in verse 7, 8 in Psalm 132, it says, Arise, O Lord, and go thy resting place, thou and the Ark of thy mighty of thy might. So dwelling place of God is in Christ and in heaven, not in a temple made with human hands. So in Psalm 132, 7-8, the ark is prophesied to go to the same place of rest would be fulfilled, and we'll see later in Revelation 11, 19, in the true ark of the covenant, which is Mary. So where God is found, and so is the ark. So where Jesus is found, so is Mary. And, um, and, So when Elizabeth exclaims, blessed are you among women, is actually a Hebrew idiom that means you are the most blessed of all women, including all women of all generations. And I think it's cool that right before uh, Elizabeth says that, uh, the scripture says, when Elizabeth heard the meeting the greeting of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So this is like the first recording of an impartation. The Holy Spirit that was filled in Mary was imparted over to Elizabeth. And she was filled with the Holy Spirit when she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And also see the connection, uh, the two different blessings there. Blessed are you, Mary, among women, all women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus. And then we'll, and when we go on to see Mary's uh, Magnificat or her song of praise, it says, my, mul- my soul magnifies the Lord, which is what we want to do as Christians. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. We'll talk about that later. God, of course, Mary needed a Savior because she's a creature. She needed to be redeemed. But when did that, that redemption grace happen for her at her conception? 
for he has regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. So we do. And, and this is actually generations will call me blessed. This is a connection to Psalm 45, 17. <clears throat> it says, I will cause your name to be celebrated in all generations. Therefore, the peoples will praise you forever and ever. So in scripture, it says that all generations will call Mary blessed. Are you doing that? In the Catholic Church, we are fulfilling that. So in the Ark, uh, in the Old Testament, it led the people through the wilderness for 40 years, all the way to the Jordan River, separating the Israelites from the Promised Land. And in, Ar- in the Ark, in a procession around the city for seven days, there was trumpets. The trumpets are a scriptural symbol for the voice and the word of God. On the seventh day, after encircling Jericho seven times and ending the procession with shouting and trumpeting blowing, the walls of the city fell and Israelites took it completely. So there we see, and we've seen before, like when the Israelites crossed the Jordan River, they lifted the, the ark and it would split the Red Sea. So the where Mary is found and there is also the presence of God, Jesus in her womb. And where God is found, there is the ark. And just like the Jewish people found power in the Ark of the Covenant because it had the presence of God. So too, as Christians, we find power in the Ark of the New Covenant in Mary because she has the fullness of, of God's presence within her womb. So even just starting there in uh, the, the recording in the Gospel of Luke of the Annunciation to Mary to give birth to Jesus the Messiah and Mary visiting Elizabeth. We already see that she is the fulfillment of the Ark of the Covenant, which is undefiled and incorrupt, made from incorruptible. So this all supports her being perpetual, uh, her perpetual virginity, immaculately conceived, and will also point to um, her being assumed into heaven because where Jesus, where the Lord is, there is the ark also, and also it, her title as mother of God. So it hits on a lot of different things. All right, so let's now move to like the birth of Jesus. So the birth of Jesus is recorded in Luke chapter 2, verse 1 through 21, and Matthew 1 through 18 through 25. And so even just the birth of Jesus alone. So in ancient times, it was impossible for a woman to give birth to a son of such high status without her own status being exalted as well. So she's not just a mere vessel that some that just so happened to be there. God chose her from all eternity. Her son is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so therefore, her status is exalted. And in herself, uh, um, she contains Jesus. And in Jesus, the fullness of deity bodily dwelt, according to Colossians chapter 2. And uh, we also see that Jesus was, there was actually, the Gospel of John is actually written because there was a heretic called Serentius who was denying the divinity of Jesus. So in the Gospel of John and in John's letters, there's a focus on the divinity of Jesus. And Serentius, he actually said that Jesus was just a normal human being. And then at the time of his baptism, he was anointed with the Holy Spirit. So he had no divinity about him at all. And so, and just, so Jesus had, was divine before the creation. Uh, like he was there with the Father before the creation of time, space, and matter. And also he became his full divinity and his, and he, was connected to his humanity through the birth and through Mary. And we also see in Matthew chapter two, verse 11, that the Magi worshiped Jesus as a little baby. So he was God the entire time of his presence here on earth from the time he was conceived at the Annunciation all the way through to his death on the cross. He remained God that entire time. So we already see that, um, so we see here that Mary is the mother of God, mother of the Son of God.